Hello, and welcome to the Brooks Breakthrough Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Brooks, and today I am joined by a very special guest. My guest today is Shelly Vernon, founder of Milestone Development and Management, a leadership and development design firm based here in Houston, Texas. Shelly spent over a decade with Dow Chemical Company before making the leap to creating her own company. Milestone's mission is to inspire, motivate, empower, and enhance every person's human potential. She will share how she and her team are doing that along with their work with both corporations and local schools. We will also discuss how she's grown as an entrepreneur and what she's actively teaching her children about leadership, ownership, and investing. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ashley. It's great to be here. And thank you for having me. I was super excited when you contacted me. Yes. So so I've actually been wanting to do a podcast for years now and- as I have met people, especially within the last few years, my list of, of guests has grown. And you and I, we've we've met before, we've had lunch. And when you shared your story, you immediately became a name on the list. That, that's before, <laughs> when you and I met, that was way before I had even started the podcast, like given it a name, anything like that. I just knew, man, there was stuff that you had shared. I'm like, oh, I wish more people could hear this. So oh, I'm glad well, we you. finally get to do this today. Um, but so go, let's start with some of your background. So share with where, where are you from? Where are you originally from? Kind of who, who were you before you started Milestone? (laughs) Well, thank you for asking. So I am originally from California. I am literally a Valley girl, (laughs) born and raised in the San Bernardino Valley on that San Andreas fault line, which is what brought me Uh, to Houston because I was definitely afraid of earthquakes. Uh, So I packed up and and moved here kind of on a whim. And I've been here ever since. I've been in Houston now for 20, a little over 28 years. Uh, Before Milestone, I was in that corporate, um, that corporate zone. uh, Very, very much entrenched in it. I was um, in I was, I was kind of, I guess, like a corporate trainer in procurement for Dow. Um, I developed uh, leaders and things of that nature, created policies, procedures, um, anything. And I was on projects that were a billion dollars or above, um, helping them to, to run smoothly, to um, creating different things, just to actually, I created a, um, a global uh, methodology that they're currently using now globally to bring together uh, the E, the P, and the C, which is engineering, procurement, and construction. Because oftentimes in organizations, you see a lot of siloed activity, which uh, slows down efficiency and productivity. And so I created something that um, kind of brought them together. And at the same time, uh, I think it was estimated at the time, and this was several years ago, brought $5 million plus EBITDA her project. Mm. So that's that's no small feat. Um, that's what I did before. And and before I took the leap, I was thinking, okay, kind of that double Dutch thing that kind of goes on in your mind, like, should I do this now? No, it's not time. Uh, and then it was just, boom, go. And I've just been going ever since. So one of the challenges I see a lot of entrepreneurs, especially coming from real estate, when you go from having a job to then creating your own business. There's this struggle that people have in the beginning of creating their own 
disciplines, their own structure, because the structure was already created in your, your company before. Now you creating a company have to create structure, not just for yourself, but for your people. Based on what you just said with your background, you seem like someone who would go into creating structure easily <laughs> for yourself. What was that like? Because I feel like that would have probably been really easy for you. Actually, you know, it was the exact opposite. Interesting. Um, I thought that it would be really easy for me, right? Being that that's what I did, processes and procedures and things of that nature. Um, while it does come easy, like you said, there's already a structure in place and you just kind of step in and kind of tweak it and enhance it, right? Which is very different from creating something from nothing, mm -hmm. right? And I did that in corporate as well. And I think that really helped me with milestone, understanding the steps that needed to be take, taken, the things that needed to be put in place. But oftentimes when you start and you, you start as a solopreneur, it's all on you. And so it's, it's overwhelming of where do I start first, right? And it was things for me in the beginning, like incorporate my desk would never be a mess, not ever, right? Mm -hmm. And starting my own organization, I'd be looking at my desk like, oh my gosh, who is this person? <laughs> and and to be quite honest, it is sometimes still a struggle for me now because for me, it, it represents um, a little bit of disorganization. Um, now it's kind of controlled chaos whenever there is chaos. I know where everything is, but I am the queen of post-it notes. Like I take notes on a post-it note, like give me, give me just right here, right here. And so it's really self-governance, mm -hmm. right? And 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 understanding, hey, you've done this before. Get your mind right. Slow down a bit, and and put these things in place because it is those little things that um, that can cause disruption later. And so really it, it, it's self-governance. But for me, it was actually the opposite. I would have thought that it would have been easy for me, but then again, it's creating something from nothing, which I was adept to. I had a sandbox when I was at Dow creating processes and procedures. But again, there was already structure in place. Um, luckily for me though, my, my degree and my background is in organizational leadership and strategy. So some of that did come a little easier for me, but still the overwhelming thought of there's nothing. Oh my gosh. And so you have to tackle it one thing at a time. And, and I will say one thing that really helped me was being well-versed in um, 4DX, which is the four disciplines of execution. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me to put that, and there's a, that's a book also. Uh, it helped me to put first things first, so to speak, and how to prioritize, organize, and then be able to execute. So some of the things that I had learned from my mentor, Eddie Rivier, um, when I was at Dow actually came and are still coming into play now. So I, I say that, I would say that that was like a perfect training ground for me to make that leap. Do you think a portion of that struggle also comes from now you're wearing multiple hats? So now you're not just a, you know, the planner, the organizer, the developer, all this stuff. Now you're wearing the sales hat. Now you're like, right. You're your assistant. You're everyone. Yes. Um, yes. When do you think that you were like, how long did it take before you were able to kind of balance all of those hats out? And, oh and did you, how do you have a team? Like how soon did you start getting a team? I, I do have a team and um, 
probably a year and a half, maybe into it, I started getting, uh, getting, surrounding myself. Now that is to say, it's not that I did not have a team before because I was still able to pull in people that I know that have a certain skill set. Like if you look on my website, I have, um, I have strategic partners mm -hmm. and I have a, um, a board. I'm sorry. Can you hear? Mm -hmm. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Okay. Uh, my lawn people are here. So I, I do have, um, a board that that helps me as well and and I would say to anyone starting out if you have to start out as a solopreneur understand strategic partnerships and relationships absolutely a need and a must because you're going to be able to pull from that knowledge base as well as then being able to pull from your knowledge base have an advisory board because I do have an advisory board and they kind of give me guidance when I'm stuck on something so um when I was in corporate, I did have an assistant. And so making that leap, I was like, oh wait, there's no one to make these calls for me. Or there's no one for me to say, hey, technology uh, person, this is, um, so I did actually pull from, from the knowledge and the wisdom of people that I knew that maybe still be in corporate or whatever to kind of give me some direction. And, and, and I will say some, um, some work on the side on their behalf. Uh, and I think that's something that's really important when we're first starting out is to understand what your resources are and who they are and get and gain alignment with them and agreements with them that, hey, if I need you, can you help me? Because if not, you, you will you will struggle. Oh, absolutely. And so many people think they can do it alone. And yes. it's I, I don't know how to stress enough that there is a beauty in using other people's skills because you're not good at everything. And nor are we designed to be good at everything. We're not supposed exactly, to. Exactly. Exactly. Lean on other people's strengths. Um, but growing up, did you have any entrepreneurs in your family? Actually, I did. And you know, that's an interesting question because when you're growing up, you don't necessarily think of cousin so-and-so that owns X number of McDonald's as this entrepreneur or uncle so-and-so that has, you know, White Castle restaurants or owns liquor stores or whatever. You, you don't necessarily see them in that light mm -hmm. until you're much older. Um, so actually, I did grow up with entrepreneurs in the family, but not until, gosh, maybe my late 20s that I really understand one the impact that that has because it gives you a different uh, a different thought process and you start to study them, their habits, what they've done. So for example, whenever I go to my cousin who I call affectionately my cousin, uncle dad, when I go to his house in Dallas, um, I immediately go into the library mm. and I'm looking to see what is he reading? Right. Um, those uncles or aunts that were entrepreneurs when I was younger, like I tap into them now. And, and, and it's something that when I was younger, again, oblivious, right, to the knowledge uh, that is there. But yes, to answer your question, yes, I was raised with, with entrepreneurs in the families. Didn't necessarily pay attention to it, though. I was just thinking, oh, they're fun, you know. Yeah. And I agree with you. You don't, you don't realize the value of that until you get older. So I come from hotels um, and there were times where I would have conversations with the owners 
And it's like my mind would just be blown with some of the things that they say, because you don't realize what even just the type of discussions they have, the type of conversations they have are different. And one of the first, first hotel that I worked at that like had mentors and leaders that were given to me, the owners actually had a mentor of theirs that they would lean on spend time with and he would come and train um, our management teams. And so at that time I was going from being a sales coordinator to a director of sales and they had their mentor come and spend a whole day with me. They flew him out just to spend one-on-one time with me the entire day. And like from that day on, that has been one of my biggest mentors and just not only like the information that he gives me and some of the the wisdom that he shared with me over the years is the same that he shares with owners throughout the country. And so to have that, to get to hear what they're hearing is, is huge. And there was an owner that I worked for a few years after that, who, when he was telling me the way his family grew their business, at first they had a bunch of gas stations and I think they had like nine or 10 and in order, so they, they had started getting smaller hotels, but in order for them to get that downtown hotel, they had to sell off four or five gas stations along the Gulf coast. I'm like, that's real life monopoly. Like I had never heard someone verbalize the fact that they were playing real life monopoly. And that, that was a big game changer for me and had me change my mentality. Because for me at that point, I was just, man, I need to grow up the ladder so that I make more money because I thought my net worth was my salary. And I was very, very wrong. That is not it. Um, So just to reiterate, yes, it is very true. Like those people that, you know, were doing things that you want to do were um, just, building businesses, there's so much to learn from them, just not even based on what they say. But like you said, I love that you go into their library because what content, what are they consuming um, that has produced this? Uh, What would you say? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you bring up something very interesting and that is mentorship because that was one of the things that each of the entrepreneurs in my family, they had mentors um, for years. And if you heard me say, I, I've had a mentor. Uh, he was my mentor, geez, well over a decade. He just recently passed. But it is so important to your development as, as a person, as a leader, as a business owner to, to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. And relative to the library, once I saw that, you best believe I have a library in my home. I do. And it is full of all kinds of books from spiritual books to um, life fiction, um, but business books that I, I mean, I have a plethora of different genre of books and it absolutely helps with my development. What would you say are some really good words of wisdom or one-liners that be it your mentors or those family entrepreneurs that have given you over the years that have just stuck with you. And it could be something that helped you um, in business and in life in family, any of those. One of the things that immediately comes to mind is we were having a conversation um, at my cousin, uncle dad's home. And, you know, it was kind of jovial and we were talking about an employee of his at one point in time and he wasn't in the room, but then he came in and the comment was made, hey, tell Shelly about the time when, and he just said, very matter-of-factly, I would prefer to focus on this person's leadership. Mm. And that spoke volumes about, one, his discipline, two, the way that he runs not only his professional life, but his personal life as well. Because what I heard in that statement was, why are we discussing something that may or may not be trivial? Although it was, you know, like a, a family funny conversation or whatever, but it was, it was a distraction. 
and it didn't focus on something that was meaningful. Mm. I prefer to focus on this person's leadership. Mm. That has just stuck with me. Like, wow, I actually gave a um, a keynote to NABO San Antonio. NABO is National Association of Women's uh, Business Owners and their San Antonio chapter. And I gave a keynote speech from that one statement because it, for me, it was just that powerful, right? Because we allow other distractions in, yeah. right? And we oftentimes don't even recognize when we are being the distractor, and just, again, that, that statement was so powerful. And then my mentor used to always say to me, his question was, baby, what are you reading? Mm. What are you feeling your mind with? Protect your mind. And so those, those types of things are things that I actually even pass on to, to my children. I love that because you can tell a lot about a person based on the content they consume. And that's something we'll get into in a little while, but, um, I love what you said about what your cousin told you. Just one, the fact that it is discipline and two, not even engage in that. And yes. then to shut it down and be that example. Because there, it's one thing to like, we know, okay, we probably shouldn't engage in that, but you almost just walk away so that you let other people do it. But you taught a lesson in no, we don't do that. Like that's right. not something that is practiced here. Right. Um, right. You're right. There's so much power in that. Well, so tell me, um, what what officially made you make the jump? Like, what was was there a turning point within your bit within working with Dow that said, you know what? Like, I know I'm ready. Actually, no, it wasn't. Um, I I call it a God moment, actually, and I think we all have those if we're paying attention. What happened was uh, right before COVID, literally right before COVID, I had um, surgery on my kidneys. And so I was out for a couple of weeks. And when I came back, I was on an owner's team for a special project. And um, when I came back, they were like, hey, everybody's got to go. COVID. And I was mm. like, wow, okay. But interestingly enough, and the reason why I call it a God moment is because literally on, that was like March 13th was my last day. Mm -hmm. March 2nd, Milestone had been formed. Mm. And now I thought, okay, I'm going to take another year and just kind of develop Milestone out and, um, you know, lay the groundwork and lay the foundation strong. Because remember, just 11 days prior, Milestone had been formed. Now, my parent company, I do have a parent company, is Vernon Innovations, was formed in February, the month before. But still, we were already in COVID at that point, mm -hmm. right? Um, so for me, it was like a message from God saying, you're ready. You're just going to procrastinate. You're going to, you know, find every excuse to like slow walk this. So boom, we're going to cut this off. And, but starting your business in the midst or at the beginning of COVID, it gave me a different perspective. Mm -hmm. It gave, it forced me to be adaptable. It forced me to be innovative in the way that I did business, um, and so I'm, I'm very appreciative, but no, I probably would have stretched this out another 12 to 18 months. And God was like, yeah, no, it's time. Yeah. It's time. Isn't it funny how that happens? I, so I am a part of a leadership program um, within the Houston Association of Realtors. And there's a number of like 
goals that I have, things that I've wanted to do, this being one of them. And, you know, you just tell your mind one day I'll do it. One day it'll happen. One day I'll, you know, pull the trigger. And it was me every month being surrounded. And I didn't even want to join this. I had a team lead at the time who was like, (laughs) actually just sign up, just sign up. I'll make like, I'll make sure that that you get hurt. Like all that stuff. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what this is. You keep telling me it's going to be life-changing. I'll submit it, whatever. So I did. And I will tell you meeting with these people every month, having peers who do really amazing things, like your surroundings affect the things that you do. And so just hearing some of these people's stories and, and the coming weeks, I'm going to have some of them on, but just like next week, I'm going to have a lady on who she's in her sixties. She literally got her license four years ago because her and her husband had two businesses, but made no money off of them, had to sell everything off. So they had no retirement. So at 60 years old, she's like, I have to start working. I've never had like a normal job outside of like our company's businesses. I'm going to get my real estate license and it's killed it. They paid off $400,000 in almost four years. Like, wow. Right. And I'm like, oh, one day I'll start a podcast. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you just got to jump. Yeah. When you hear these people, there's a girl who's my age who she right now, she's a broker and she um, has an office in California, has an office here, wants to be global. And I'm like, you're my age. And the conversations we're having and hearing what she's learning, what she's doing, it's just like you get pushed into it. It's like, stop making excuses. Now is the time. Go do what you need to do. And yeah, so I've made this in addition to a few other changes. um, But it's, yeah, you just have to be pushed into it. And, and and have the the right mindset, right? Because you could go into, oh, woe is me, but why? Yeah. You, at that point, you have a choice. And are, what are you going to do? And for me, the choice was, it was a no-brainer. I honestly have not looked for a quote-unquote job because I felt like if this was the opportunity given to me. Notice I said opportunity. Mm -hmm. If this is the opportunity given to me, then my choice is take the opportunity or say, nah, I'm going to go over here with a false sense of security, Mm -hmm. right? And so I chose very definitively, I'm going to bet on myself. Mm. I've been prepared for this my entire life. And now I'm going to step out. Mm, I love that. And so you are, you've been working with people from a variety of ages, everyone from middle school, high school to corporate execs. We'll start with corporate first. Share with me what you and your team are doing to actually help corporations, how you're going in um, and what you're doing essentially. So we offer services from recruitment to um, development. So what I mean by that is, so it's it's a full range, right? So I will recruit for your organization. And then once they're in, I'm helping with onboarding. And then we will create a success plan for your organization. And what that looks like is a development plan for those that are in your organization so that we're all rowing in the same boat. We all have the same uh, opportunities, right? We're all being taught the same thing. So we're talking about leadership and soft skills. I can help you build a leadership pipeline if you have one. If you don't have or fill that pipeline, if you don't have one, we'll build it for you. And then we're we're going to make sure that your organization is successful because an organization is only going to be as strong 
as those that are employed by the organization. And I think that's where a lot of companies at this juncture are going wrong. It's, we just have a bunch of people, right? But we don't know what their strengths are. We don't know how they communicate. We don't, we haven't equipped them with how to resolve conflict and help them understand sometimes conflict is not a bad thing because innovation is born from conflict, right? So we teach all of those things to the actual employees, all of them in the organization, no matter where you are, right? Because we, we tend to think of things when we talk about learning and development of an employee, we think of things as it needs to be very role specific and then they're, they're learning a technical skill that they may or may not have already gone to school for. Right. And then we reserve soft skills and leadership skills for those that are going into a pipeline. Why? Why is that? Yeah. To me, it just doesn't make sense. And the reason why I started doing it that way is because I had a, lead, a leader at Dow that used to tell me, um, I want to teach you leadership from a 50,000 foot level and you can dive down into the weeds, but then you need to come back out. But it was important for me to dive down into the weeds because there were things that I needed to see and things that I needed to learn mm -hmm. and bring back and then help to uh, resolve at that 50 foot level because it trickles down, right? Mm -hmm. But not only does it trickle down, it also flows up. We've all heard of leading up, mm -hmm. right? Well, how can you lead up if you've never been taught? Yeah. Oh, there's so, so much there. Um Coming from hotels, we saw it a lot because we, one of the things I noticed in my twenties was that everyone wants to be a manager. Everyone wants more money, but no one wants to learn to be a great leader because yes. it's hard. And so I remember just being like, man, how do you fix this? How do you fix that? So many of these people are so consumed in themselves and they don't understand, um, what it looks like to actually lead. And like, there was a company I worked with that they were really big on, we want to be known as the company where people want to take our people because they learned from us. Yes, And yes. I understand the fear for employers in that regard, because you don't want to keep training people and then have them taken from you. I understand it, but there's something that makes your company very valuable at that point, because then you almost get to choose, pick and choose because so many people want to work yes. for you. Um, so kind of expand on that a little bit, because I know that's a challenge for employers. It's a challenge because it's such a big investment. It is a big investment, but you know, I actually have a client that has that ideology, right? We want to be the premier. We want people to come to, to want to work here. We want to be, we want that. In that, it is what you said. There will be organizations that try to take your take your people. And then there's that scarcity mentality, right? Fortunately for this client, they don't have that scarcity mentality because what they understand is if you, if you have created an organization and an ecosystem in where by which people want to be there, nobody can take them away. It's, it's that it's that fear, that false evidence appearing real, right? Fear that keep, that when you operate from that place, that will happen. But if you don't operate from that place and you understand, hey, I have created something 
or, or an organization, a place where people feel valued. They know that they're going to be heard. They know that their opinion matters. They know that they can grow here, right? Both professionally and personally. And they're being paid what they are worth. That's, a, that's me as an organization expressing to you in a monetary way how I value you. And they give other perks. And again, this organization is phenomenal. I go there, I was there a few weeks ago and we were meet, I was meeting with the CEO and the COO. And you look out the back window and they got they do things like they have a mobile detailer coming to wash and detail mm-hmm. their employees' cars. So on top of all of the other things that you're getting from me as an employer, um, I'm going to do this for you as well. The question then becomes, for what I am investing in you, what are you contributing back to my organization? Because it always has to be reciprocal. It has to be a win-win. And when you have that win-win on both sides, nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. So that fear is, is just something in your mind. Yeah. Have you ever read the book Powerful by Patty McCord? I have not, but I'm going to write that down. She was the first director of HR for Netflix. So this is like when, and she tells the story of like, there were times when they first got started where they, um, you know, how would have to go to Walmart and target and all these places to buy the DVDs just to ship them out because they didn't have enough for, you know, what was requested. And so they wanted to be that company where everyone wanted to come and work. And there's a, um, they, they pretty much gave out their HR pamphlet. So, and it's been studied by people and everything, but in there, she talks about how there are two things that really stood out to me in the book. One, never call your team family. It's a team just like, and mm-hmm. so but there was a company that where I really grew that it was like, Hey, we're family. And I like, I struggled with it when I first read it, but she was like, the mission of a company isn't its people. It's the mission of the company. And right. so it's just these people on the team. So you think about it like a basketball, a, a basketball team, you make trades because your mission is for this team from this city to win. Um, it's not a family that has to stick together. So that one was one, but the other one was, there are times when some people have served their purpose at the company and being able to have that conversation with them to say, Hey, like, what is it that you like care about? Like, what is it that you're interested in and actually helping them make the transition and it not being a, Hey, you're fired. Hey, like, and making them feel um, less than, but making sure that they are being able to provide their skills, their talents in another arena because what they what she said was there were times when Netflix had very specific projects and once that project was done well those people that were really good at that thing there was nowhere else to put them so you're just holding on to these employees and paying um, a salary and benefits for someone you don't technically need anymore and someone who's not growing so what what are your thoughts on something like that because I know that that's a difficult conversation too for both parties the employer and the employee It is a difficult conversation. However, when you express it the way that you have and there's that care and concern, right? And and you're helping to to alleviate the stress from both parties because at that point it is stressful, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it makes it a a better situation. It's interesting that you you bring that up because when I was doing my... um, finishing up my degree, I interviewed the recently retired vice president of marketing for Centerpoint Energy. 
And I asked him, what golden nuggets of leadership would you um, would you offer to anyone? And he said just that, realize as an organization, but also as an employee of an organization, when the time has come for you to make your exit. Mm. And I was like, wow. And he said, oftentimes an employee will stay out of fear that they because they don't think that there's anywhere else for them to go or whatever and an organization may keep people because you know well they've been here for so long now i'm not advocating for an organization to just start ditching people right that, that's not what i'm saying at all but i think again it has to be that mutually beneficial understanding where hey we needed your skill set for this we no longer have um use in the organization or, or a place in the organization for that skill set. So let's put our minds together and see where you can be beneficial, where your skills, traits, and abilities can be useful, either inside or outside of the organization. One of the things that, that I like to do with organizations that I work with, as well as individuals, is I do offer assessments, right? Because I think assessments allow you to see your playing field, much like that scene in the blind side where uh, she goes out on the field and she's like, hey, she's moving people around and she's like, hey, do you remember when, you know, when you had that car accident and you wanted to protect X person? And he's like, yes, these people are, you know, this person and she's moving them around. And so she walks off and pats the coach on the butt and says, hey, you need to know, you need to know who you have on the field. You need to know who you have in your organization so that you can move them around to their benefit, but also to the organization's benefit, right? It's kind of a concept of the organization. And I'm a Peter Drucker fan, so I'm going to say, right, for those of you who haven't read concept of organization, read that. Because the concept of an organization is to capitalize on what the skills, traits, and abilities the minds, so to speak, or physical attributes, if you're doing something in labor, of other people. Yeah. Why would you not know who you have in your organization? So true. It only makes sense, right? And so you can move those people around, but when you're not afraid to have those conversations and say, okay, let's look at your skill set. Let's look at what you're actually interested in because your skill set may not be what you're interested in, mm -hmm. right? Perfect example. When I was at Dow, people came to me because I have this analytical mind. Ashley, I do not like reporting like that. I am excellent at it. I can analyze it. I can break it down a million different ways, come up with a plan or whatever. I do not find joy in that. I don't. I'm good at it. But what I found joy in is when my leader said, I'm going to teach you organizational leadership and I'm going to get you a mentor. And I mean, it was like the heavens opened up and I found my calling, right? Because what I didn't say earlier to you is when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be in medicine. I wanted to either be an anesthesiologist or an OB-GYN, right? Because I want to help people. But in that young adolescence mind, adolescent mindset, I thought that the medical industry was the only way that I could help people. Mm. But my experience at Dow and going into organizational leadership and coaching and mentoring people 
it helped me understand there are myriad of ways that I can help people. Yeah. And this, this was my jam. Like this is my gift. Yeah. Right. But if you slot me in a role where I'm only doing reporting and I'm looking at analytical things, you're not only stunning my growth, but you're stunning the growth of the organization because I grew many leaders mm. in my time there. Yeah. But you've got to know who you have on the bench. No, that that is so true because so in I want to eventually grow my own team, right? But I know like I'm not a systems person. I hate it. I'm not good at it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Don't make me sit in front of a computer all day. Like, I mean, we're in front of a computer right now, but like, I like, it's funny. I have told people, I'm like, man, if I could just go to lunches every day with people and happy hours, that, <laughs> that would be me because I'm like, man, just give me a good conversation and it will just feel like nourishment to my soul. Yes. Um, and that, that to me is where I get life energy. I'm not, I'm not an extroverted person because I need time to come back and rejuvenate my husband he, when we were dating, he was like, you're in sales. Like, I thought you were really social. I was like, mm, no, I gotta, I gotta go back home and like rejuvenate, be by mm -hmm. myself and then throw me back in. <laughs> yes. Um, but and, uh, there are times where it's like, I'll, I'll be at home just working, at, you know, in the office on my laptop and, you know, my heads and my daughter will get home. Like we got to go out. I I've been inside all day. Let's go to the park and then I'll meet a random family. I'll have a great conversation with some random people. And I'm like, all right, I got my hit today. Like, I'm good. <laughs> but um, you know that it's that so for true. you, it's that self-awareness, right? You, you know, much like when I'm coaching individually or if I'm coaching with a group or if I'm giving a keynote, there's that energy exchange. And I too, like you, I know that like, that energizes me. It gives me life, right? Mm -hmm. Then I know I need some time to rejuvenate because I've given out so much energy as well. It drains you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so I want to go back to when you're working with companies from your experience of the last two years, as you've, you've dove in with a number of companies, what are you seeing is a really big challenge? Maybe like the top one or two challenges that employees are having um, or even going to have. I know that there's a lot of um, uncertainty that we're going to go into next year. What do you see happening, coming, and then what, how can employers face that challenge? What I see is inept leaders. Mm. And then there's no other, there's no other way to put that, right? And, and it's because we have become a society that believes that I have this title, mm. so you have to listen to me and you have to follow me. A leader is only as good as those that are following or have agreed to follow behind them, right? A title does not make you a leader. And I think when organizations put people in place, and this was a conversation that I had with my leader at Dow, and it was very eye-opening. Um, I asked him, how do you pick leaders? And he said, well, I've given them a task and I wanna see how they perform on the task. And now there are other things that come with that task, right? Like how do they communicate that they can't or can or can't meet the, uh, the objectives of the task and you know, a myriad of other things, but you chose them because they did something well. Mm. But really that means that they did that thing well. It doesn't mean that they wanted to improve. It doesn't mean that they mm. want people to follow them. It doesn't mean those things. And so we had this conversation because we were able, I was able to have a very um, 
a very open conversation with him, very transparent conversation with him. And he asked me, he was Dutch, he used to call me Michelle. Michelle, well, what do you suggest? And this was actually my first jump into coaching and, and training and, and things of that nature for leadership. And I said, well, it would seem to me that you would kind of walk around their desk and see what they're reading or have a conversation with them, right? Notice I said, see what they're reading because people that want to improve themselves and or others matters not where they are. They have some material. They have books on their desk in their home because they want to be better. They want to bring their best self. Start there, right? So what I'm seeing is inept leadership and leadership definitely drives culture. Mm. Do you have a leadership team that says to your people, well, this is how we've always done it. Now that means that we're going to be stagnant. Mm. We cannot and which is why a lot of businesses closed during COVID. You know, obviously there are other reasons, but there was that lack of innovation from leaders, right? We saw capable, competent, and qualified leaders pivot their companies, even in restaurants, right? We're gonna we're gonna deliver now outside of you know Uber Eats and DoorDash, or whatever. We're gonna deliver ourselves. We're gonna have movie night. We're out in the parking lot. I've seen that with, I saw that with, a, I think it was, it was a steak company. They had like movie night where you could see movies on the side of the brick building and eat in your car. You know, they, they had different things. They pivoted. They went to the QR code on the menu so that people wouldn't have to touch menus. They pivoted, right? But when you do that, you're not saying this is how we've always done it, Right. Those that say this is how we've always done it, and I'm gonna go back to Drucker. Peter Drucker, in one of his books, I don't know if I have so many of them, he states that an organization that is not looking at their processes and procedures on a regular basis, mm. annually, quarterly, whatever, they're going to be stagnant. How can you progress if you're doing things the way that you did things in 1927? You can't, yeah. right? And some of these organizations are older. There is a book called, um, oh gosh, uh, Exponential. It's uh, yeah, Exponential Leadership, I think, it, I think it's what it's called. Um, but it talks about um, how to, exponential organizations, how to make your organization just that, exponential. How do you continue to grow? Are you putting things in place or putting people in place like a chief data officer. Milestone has a chief data officer. Are you putting an advisory board in place? And this is for the small to medium-sized businesses, right? How are you going, what is your um, commitment to continuous growth? Are you ensuring that those that you are entrusting to lead your organization are continuing to grow? Or is it, Oh, well, they've been in leadership or, you know, we they, they've been a manager for 20 years. 20 years ago, you know what leadership was like? It was, you do it because I say so. Yeah. Oh. It, it wasn't about how you influence people. It wasn't about empathy. It wasn't about effective communication. It was, I said it, you do it, go do it. You don't do it, you're fired. That doesn't work now. 
And so you you you've gotta you've gotta keep up with and understand where we are now globally. We we have now more access. We have now um, more ethnicities, cultural things. There, there are so many other things that 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 go into leading people and leading organizations. If you want to be successful, you've got to keep your leadership abreast of that. And, and you're very right, because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of leaders of corporations right now that there's so much more that they have to deal with than they ever had to before. Right. And so it is, it is interesting to see. And now we get more of um of a visual. We get way more information as to how we're doing it as consumers. So because right. of that, that affects how we buy. Yes. Um, I, I know that there are some companies that, and we're not really big on, okay, well, we don't buy from that company anymore because they have these views. We're not big on that, but that we're really big on like, oh, man, they just can't get it together. Like their service. <laughs> we have, um, yes. there's a, a restaurant that it was one of the few restaurants that we'd eat at with our daughter. We don't eat a lot of fast food, but so we have a three-year-old, but she likes certain things from here. And it's one of the healthier fast food versions. And we have been to it all over Texas because it's just one of those things to where we feel healthier when we eat it. Mm -hmm. And so when we travel, that's where we'd go. And so, but I will tell you the last few years, it's like, man, there's a consistency in their inconsistency and there's something (laughs) happening. And I'm like, I want to talk to someone, but I don't know who to talk to. And sometimes like, I don't always talk to the managers, but it's a, but it is interesting just to see the quality of things go down. And I will say one of the co I won't, I'm not going to name the, kind of the company, but one of the co-CEOs, because I had a co-CEO for a few years, I read one of his books. And even in his book, like after he left, he was, you know, talking about his experience. Like you can tell, I think when he left, it just, it really affected all of it. <laughs> I will tell you, there's one more store. And again, I won't name it, but it's a place that we go to regularly. And I, I went to the manager one day. I was like, listen, your store looks really bad. Like, is there anyone I can call for you? Because like, they don't have people on registers and it's like, this is like, this is what your competitor looks like. And we don't go to your competitor. We come here because we know that there's a different experience and your experience feels like their experience. And he's like, I know, like, and he was talking about the reasons they're struggling. And he was like, there's no one to call though. Like we have told the brand and I'm like, all right, well, I come here often. So if you see me and you think of anyone that I can call for you, please tell me, cause I will do that. And you just, you see it. And so because of that, that if the, the experience affects who we right. do, for sure. Right. And but, that, that is one thing that we, at Milestone, we do work with organizations on, and that is, that is service quality. Yeah. Which, and, and so many people need that. But so I want to, I want to transition now to you. There's so much that leaders need help with. And I think one of the great ways to start what you guys are doing is you're working in schools because it starts yes. with them. And there's a lot you don't learn in schools. I, again, I have a three-year-old and there's a school that I went to go visit a private. We're already looking at schools of her. There's a private school here in Houston. that's one of the top three, um, went and met with the, the founder of it. And they, that what they do with parents and kids before the kid even starts is amazing. One of it is, Hey, what do you want your kid to learn? And mm-hmm. so they develop curriculum specifically for that kid. And I was like, there are three things I want my kid to learn. And like, as long as, and I know no school is going to teach these three things. Like for us, faith is really important. So one, like we wanted to learn about faith. Two is um, leadership. She's going to be a leader no matter what. If she has a little brother, a little sister, she's going to be a leader to that brother or sister. As she gets older, once you become, once you're in fifth grade, third graders look up to you. You're just going to be a right. leader. 
Um, and then money, money is a tool, nothing more, nothing less. And our belief is if she gets the first one faith down really well, like that automatically will trickle to the other two to an extent. And it's like, if she can do those two, well, it's just, they all, they all flow together if done well. And she can have a lot of power in that. And so I love what you guys are doing in that you're already getting into schools to teach certain things about finances, to teach certain things about leadership, because we know schools aren't going to teach that. So can you share what you're doing? Sure. And first, I'd like to share why we decided to start working with students. And that is because, again, at that 50,000 foot level, and you hear things like, well, this is how we've always done it. The natural thought for me was, well, how do I make this better? I have to take several steps back. Mm. And that means when I say several, several steps back, I mean, before someone enters into your organization, right, be it from college or a trade school, there have to be certain things taught. And then I thought, you know what? But if you teach that while they're in college or in a trade school, yeah, 50-50 chance, right? Maybe 75-25. But if I go back to high school or middle school, where the brain is still malleable, they're still in that growth mindset. And I start teaching them the concepts at an age appropriate, in an age appropriate way, right? The concept is the concept, right? Whatever I taught to these, you know, people in organizations, these adults, I teach the exact same thing to these students who absorb it like sponges. I just teach it in a way that they can grasp it. Right. So, for example, when we talk about service quality. I taught service quality to five year olds this summer mm. at Shape Community Center. Right. Five through 13 year olds. And what that sounds like is for them to be able to connect with it is when your mom or dad or your guardian asks you to clean your room. How do you respond? Do you go do it happily? Or do you say things under your breath? Do you stomp off? Do you go do it and then you kind of get distracted and you walk away? These things are service quality. Mm. It is the quality by which you are providing service, right? And the efficiency in which you're doing it. Now, when there is poor service quality, there is a consequence. When you want to go have a play date, or if you're a teenager and you want to, you know, take the keys and drive the car and go or go hang out with friends, and the answer is no, because you didn't do what I asked you to do over here, that's the natural consequence of poor service quality. So it's teaching the concept in an age-appropriate way. Um, but the, But I knew that if I took several steps back and started working again with young minds that are malleable, um, it it becomes a part of their being so that when they enter into your organization, it does two things. One, it saves you money because a lot of organizations now don't have an organizational effectiveness department any longer, right? Because of overhead. Um, so they have these skill traits and abilities already. They don't have to go through all these different courses that, that you may offer in a one-off manner, right? Because there's no real systematic way in most organizations to bring about the development of a person for soft skills or leadership. Um, but two, 
when I come into your organization, and this has been ingrained in me from the time I was in middle school, and I heard it again in high school, or I heard it in college, right? Because of the way that Milestone teaches things, it's not just I'm reading this and I'm going to take a quiz. It is, I've read it, we've discussed it, I've engaged in it, and I have been, I'm, I'm now aware and attuned to my environment. So a lot of it is so if I'm teaching something on communication about giving feedback and you need to give feedback, they have um, what what, what <laughs> my um, executive director, she likes to call them um, miracle sayings or miracle words or whatever. And so you'll hear a milestone person say, may I tell you what I heard or may I offer you some feedback? They're always going to ask permission first, mm. right? But they've practiced that. They didn't just read it. They've gone out and they have real life situations now and they've practiced saying that. They've practiced listening intently and then repeating back to you what they've heard. They've practiced, you know, something like if we're talking about the Cartman Triangle and, and they understand where their starting gate is, if they're a, par- a, pros- a persecutor, which is a bully, if they're playing victim, which sinking into apathy, or if they're a rescuer. They are, they are attuned and aware to what position they're playing. They know how to get out of it. They know what position you're playing. They know how to help you come out of it or restrain. They know if they're playing rescuer, that they are robbing you of an opportunity to learn something because we've talked about it. They've gone out and looked at real world, real world situations and come back and we've had discussion. Mm, but so, but just to clarify, see, so you're almost, you're role-playing. Yes. I love that so much. So with, I, with the curriculum. Yes. Yeah, no, but there's, oh man, there's so much power in that. Um, so right now I'm doing a role, like I'm a part of a role play group just for real mm-hmm. estate, right. To learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, have certain conversations. And there are people that I've, I've been doing this with that. And I'm in week three that are like novice, like real fresh, just doing this. There are people who <laughs> have been at this for over a decade. You can tell they're just good. And they help me tweak the way I word things. Um, and the way that I come off. And there are times like I had a family member who reached out recently, who's just having difficulties with her work. And so, and I always say like, Hey, well, you sound like an employee right now. So let's, and I'm like, man, like there's so many people in that situation that it's like, they don't know how to come They're so frustrated with their, their leadership. Right. But they don't know how to come across to where, and I'm like, man, like you just need to find someone that you can like role play with. (laughs) But it's, yes. but there's no, I don't know, maybe that's an opportunity for you guys to provide that service, even to adults, just to role play, like difficult situations, because we don't know how to communicate. We don't, right. we don't know how to express our, our frustration in a respectable manner. Yes. And it's, oh man, it's hard. And that's a, that's a challenge that I see. And, and I feel for both sides. I feel for the people that have to take it. And I feel for the people that just don't know how to express themselves. Right. Um, it, it it can be quite challenging, especially when you're watching it, you just kind of want to cringe when you know, mm-hmm. right? Um, for me though, Ashley, I, I think that if we can prepare our students now differently, because the world is so different now, if we can prepare them with what they're going to need, the things that they're, they're not learning in, in school, right? It, it makes us all better. But we have to realize that as parents, as adults, um, whether we're in business or 
just around young people in general, we are modeling things for these students. Whether we realize it or not, they are paying attention. We are modeling. And a lot of what we see in organizations now, behavioral issues or, you know, what have you, these things were modeled. Mm -hmm. They were modeled in a classroom. They were modeled in a home. They were modeled somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get that right within ourselves, sometimes, you know, some people say, this is the way that I am and I'm not going to change. Okay, great. Right. Which is the same as saying in an organization, this is how I've always done it. So again, with students, it's let's try something different. And I often ask the question, well, yes, so-and-so does do that, but how does that feel to you when it's done? Mm -hmm. What do you see and hear when something like that is said to you or you overhear someone saying that to you? So let's try something a little different. If that doesn't feel quite right, let's try something a little different. Yeah. I love that. And so there's, there's a few things that you mentioned there. They're really good takeaways. But one of the things that sticks out to me the most is this is almost encouragement for parents. And that you said that what, what your kids are seeing, they, that's what they implement. So we, we put our daughter in daycare earlier this year. So she was in daycare for like a hot second um, when she was a baby, but it, within COVID happened. She was only there for like a month. So she's been in since April, May-ish. And there are times she'll come home and say something. And we're like, where'd you hear that? You didn't hear that here. We know that you, we know that you didn't hear that from any of our family. Where did you hear that line? <laughs> and so there was even a week where um, they had switched classrooms and that like threw the kids off a lot. Like switching classrooms was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. For these kids. And she was throwing fits, like fits like we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular morning where we we're getting ready for, to drop her off. And she like throws herself on the ground, puts her hands on her face and starts crying. I'm like, you've never done that. So I go and I tell the teacher, I'm like, yeah, she's been off this week. She did, you know, this thing. And she was like, we have two new kids. They're new to daycare. Um, they've been crying a lot. One of them, he just sits there with his, like his hands on his eyes and cries. Oh. I'm like, you don't realize the little things that they pick up from anyone. So like what we teach our kids, they go and teach it to other kids, which then goes into yes. other homes. Like yes. it's just a triple effect. Like what you do matters so yes. much because it will go into other homes. It just does. Um, so there's, there's just a lot there, but so share, um, Share some of the things that you've done with your kids, because I know that you've shared some stories with me about how you have um, intentionally sought to um, grow your kids into great leaders, great business people. Um, Share some of kind of the the things that you've done throughout the years. You know, and honestly, it goes back to reading. Um, I read a book, um, I think her name was Danny Johnson, and it was about creating wealth in the next generation. Mm. And um, from that book, because these are conversations that my parents didn't necessarily have with me, right? As parents, we think that our kids are just going to pick things up by osmosis, right? And we're not necessarily intentional about what we are teaching them, modeling to them, and so forth. But in that book, that I read years ago, she talked about having conversations with with, with children about assets versus liabilities. Mm. Okay. So one of the things that I that I stro- uh, strive to teach my children is assets, assets versus liabilities. Is spending money on this trinket, is this going to be an asset or is it going to be a liability? Right. Mm. And so 
for children to grasp that concept and take it throughout life is for me, it's, it's really big because it's how you make decisions about how you spend your money or how you invest your money. I heard you say in the beginning about, you talked about investing, right? That is something, that is a lesson that needs to be learned at an early age in an age appropriate way, right? Are we just buying a whole bunch of stuff to, to pacify kids because they're seeing that? And that's a habit that they're going to learn, right? So I also talk to my kids about habits. Funny story, I have one left at home that's in high school. He's a sophomore. And over the summer, he's like, I want to get a job. I want to get a job. And I said, okay, you can go get a job, right? I, I acquiesced because typically at this point in time, I don't allow them to have jobs, but I acquiesced. Knowing that as a sophomore, he's take, taking AP English. He's taking dual credit history. He's taking AP bio and AP physics. Mm -hmm. And um, what math is he taking? I believe he's taking uh, pre-cal. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a very challenging schedule. Yeah. But now you want to throw in a job. Okay. So then I said, okay, well, you can only work on the weekends during the school year. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he came to me and he was like, mom, I think I might have to quit. <laughs> hmm. You know, I'm not going to say I told you so, because I, again, I do allow my children to learn lessons on their own. And I said, okay, well, explain to me why. So he said, because of my course load, I'm really struggling with all the homework and trying to work. And I said, and he said, and, and on the weekends when I'm supposed to work now, I really just need to relax. Mm. I'm glad that you realize that because yes, you do. Now, let me ask you this question. When are you going to give notice? Oh, today's going to be my last day. Nope, we're not doing that. Because how would you feel? Would you want someone to start working for a milestone and then just quit out of nowhere and leave me high and dry? No. Well, then you're not going to do that to this organization either. You're going to give two weeks notice, right? So there's a lesson there for, for him, but also understanding, one, that you need to have time to relax, recuperate, and regenerate, right? That whole, that self-care thing. And then understanding, while for me, balance is a fallacy, how can you incorporate or integrate things into your life or into your being? Maybe it's you only work during the summer and during the school year because you are taking such a rigorous course load. What does that look like, right? But I allowed him to learn how to self-govern. Mm. That is important. When my, when my children enter high school, uh, middle school, once they get to eighth grade, I kind of back up because I need them to learn how to self-govern. And we have conversations like, you know, if you didn't get the grade that you were looking to get, what did you do? What can you do? And how are you going to mitigate that? Right? So for example, if you got a C or something on something, or you got a B and you wanted an A or whatever, how are you going to mitigate that? What conversation are you going to have with your teacher? Because when they get to high school, there's more self-governing that has to happen. Definitely, I'm setting the stage from eighth grade on for when they get to college. Because your professor's not going to talk to me and mommy can't come and save you. So there has been years of practice of self-governing. There's years of practice in communication. 
there's years of practice in mitigating something that you've done that needs to be corrected or it needs to be compensated for, right? So it's there's a lot of intention there. Um, and then I, I do have them read a lot. And I was that mom that they would come to me and say, mom, my kids have spectacular vocabularies. Mm -hmm. And it was because when they were younger, they would say, mom, how do you spell X, Y, Z? Or what does X, Y, Z mean? And my answer was always, the dictionary is your friend. Mm. It would irritate them to no end, but the dictionary is your friend. Well, how can I look it up if I don't know how to spell it? This is a lesson in phonetics now, right? But there was a lesson in how to research and find information yourself. Mm. The dictionary in your friend is your friend is you need to be self-reliant. You need to figure it out. I feel like I could talk to you for hours because, oh <laughs> man, there's so much that I want to unpack there. Um, oh man, that, that in itself and teaching people to, cause that you're like challenging them to work for something yes. and not like one problem solving and two working. We have a thing now where we don't say we can't. So my, my little girl is really big. Like she'll try to do something and she just wants us to do it for her. She's like, I can't, I can't open it. And we're like, we don't say we can't try. Mm -hmm. And if you yes. need help, we'll help you say, yes. I need help. And so it's yes. those little changing the way we, we say things um, because yes. the, the, your, the words you use matter, no matter how yes. big or how small. Um, but man, I love, I love that you do that. Um, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I know you've shared this story with me about your, you have a daughter who, yes. who what, you added her to your board because you wanted her to, for a number of reasons, but a lot of the things you do, again, sets them up for the future people they're going to be because yes. your people aren't, your, your kids aren't just going to be normal employees. There's no. no, it's impossible for them to be that because of the way that you've raised them. That's our goal as well. We, we really want to teach, we want the languages that we try to instill are English, Spanish, Mandarin. Why? Because we live in Texas for the Spanish. We're in America for English and Mandarin is the second leading business language in the world. So we want to yes. set her up. Right. And I love something you said with, with your son and him, um, having to give us two weeks notice and you're putting him in the mindset of the employer. You wouldn't want someone to do that for you when you're in that position. So that you're already right. speaking it over. Like one day he's going to be an employer and so yes. you have to show the same respect that you'd want when you're in that position. So I love yes. that, but share a little bit with us about what you've done with your daughter in, in um, putting her in that role of, of what it is as a teenager to be on a board and, and what she's learning and how she's growing in that, that realm. Sure. So first, let me just say that my daughter, she is now in her senior year at, at TCU, which is Texas Christian in Fort Worth, and she is studying abroad in Spain. Mm -hmm. She wants to be an attorney. And so when Milestone was formed, I put her on the board one of the of the parent company because I wanted her to have that on her resume because that makes a statement, right? But she's not on the board in name only. She has to attend board meetings. She is the board secretary, so she has to take notes. Um, but I had her sit in when Milestone was doing strategic planning and there were 16 hours of strategic planning, by the way, and she had to sit there. And she not only had to sit there, but she had to engage and give input because I wanted her to understand the foundation, especially in law and what she wants to do, 
when things can go wrong, it's because they fail to address it in the strategic plan, mm. right? And so I gave her the example of, because she, she wanted to initially study civil law and she's kind of moved on from that. But the lesson in that for her was, and I said, okay, well, let's talk about George Floyd and what happened there. Do you think the liquor store where all of this started, was there proper training for that employee? And she was like, well, probably not. And I said, and so for the policeman or the entire police department, what do you think that looked like about training? And she said, well, it probably wasn't complete or there were some things that were missed. And I said, but in your strategic plan, because there are many components to a strategic plan, wherein HR and other things are components, it was missed, right? And I said, so you have got to understand this first. It will make you a stronger attorney because you will be able to delve deep past whatever, whatever um, front line you see and delve deeper into what, were, what are your policies and procedures? Were these things a part of the, were they addressed in your strategic plan to be rolled out in different parts of the organization? And so I wanted her to have that under her belt and understand. Now, I'm just going to tell you, she was like, oh my gosh, right? But in that strategic plan, we did address things about working with students. And so I was able to get her perspective from being in, you know, recently in high school and then in college at the time. I think when we did our strategic plan, she was in her sophomore year, right? End of her freshman, beginning of her sophomore year. So she still had some very good things to say, things that I may not have thought of, but I was able to engage her in that. And I think it's important for, especially when we are parents, uh, when we as parents are business owners, that we engage our, our children in that because they need to understand one, what our thought and our vision is, not only for our organization, but for them, right? Because it's our organization and, and the proceeds or the profits that our organizations make that are going to help propel them into whatever future it is that they decide that they want to have. But if there's something that I'm doing in my organization that can teach you and give you insight, why not? Because there's so much value there. Don't like, like share, so share it with them because it's it's worth so much um, and not just monetarily, but there's life lessons there. There's um, skill sets that, that are grown from that. Um, so I love that. Um, I'm going to transition us now into what I like to call the four W's. So as I mentioned earlier, and I know that you agree with this, what you consume says a lot about who yes. you are. Um, says a lot about your mindset, the things that you do. It explains why you do things that you do. Um, so we're going to hit on four. So um, what, are you, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you reading? And who are you hanging out with? So for the first one, when it comes to what are you watching, are there you know movies, shows, specific content online that you watch? So I, okay, I'll be transparent. I'm really, I don't necessarily delve in a lot of social media. I do kind of protect myself that way. I don't watch a lot of television. When I do watch television, it is to relax myself. And it's usually like a medical drama. Um, just because like of the science behind it, like I'm kind of a, you know, mm -hmm. nerd about science. Um, 
but it's very rare that I watch television. As a matter of fact, we have two televisions in my home, one in the living room and one in the game room. Nobody really goes in the game room and we don't, I, we just don't. But that was a discipline that I'll go back to my, to my children. They didn't watch television as children. They could watch it on Friday night after, after school, like about 6 p.m. to Sunday at 6 p.m. It, it, it just wasn't a thing, but they had music and they had sports and they had their studies. So we don't, it's just not a discipline that we have. So there's no need to have a television in every room. It, it just, for me, is a distraction. Definitely not in my bedroom because that is a place of rest for me. So yeah, other than medical dramas that I may record and may or may not watch, I don't really watch very much te television. I'm not on social media a lot. Um, anyone that follows me on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, they'll be like, man, she doesn't really post a lot. <laughs> and it's just, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not there. I am trying to get a little better about posting things on LinkedIn, at least so that um, people understand like, hey, she has a brain and she has something to say. Yeah. Um, not necessarily from a marketing perspective, but just I do have things to say. And and when I open my mouth, I do want it to be impactful. Um, yeah. Sorry, I don't have very much on the television front. No, no, I love that. And so I in asking these questions over the last few months, a lot of people who own businesses don't watch TV. If they do, they have that one outlet, whether it be sports or, or something very specific that they watch just to let their minds rest. Um, and I love what you said about social media. It is really hard. So I, I don't want to be on social media, but I am for the sake of, you know, the stuff that I put out there, but it is, there are times where like, I'll have to do a detox because I'm just like, I cannot look at a screen or it's just so easy to get distracted. And then it's like, mm, that was good. And I will take TikTok's the worst. Like my husband's not on social media. I, do not, I don't have TikTok. TikToks. He was like, hey, there are people, I listen to podcasts a lot. So he's like, listen, mm -hmm. there are people on, on TikTok that are doing really well in real estate. Like you should look them up, maybe you can get business. So I get on there and I'm like, the algorithms are fire. They are so <laughs> good so good that you end up wasting hours just scrolling. Um, Notice I said I protect myself by not. Yeah, I have deleted it so many times. <laughs> and now now I, it's very rare for me to even get on there and scroll. It's literally like, um, and I've set it up to where now things are scheduled to get posted on there. So, um, you know, I think I still have to go on there just to approve for it to be posted. And then I get out okay. and then that's it. Um, okay. So that was what you watch. What are you, what are you listening to? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you listen to music? I do listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of music um, and very, very genres of music. I don't have one. Like I, I do love country. I like R&B. I like jazz. I like blues. I like a little rock. So my I like some gospel. So my genre is just kind of like all over the place. It's very, very wide. Um, so I listen, I do listen to a lot of music. When it comes to podcasts, what do you listen to? Ooh, anything about leadership. I do listen to um, podcasts about um, growing and sustaining. So like scaling mm. um, business, because that's like where I am now. Um, anything that's uh, creative, I like to listen to, to those type of podcasts as well. Um, again, kind of varied. Yeah. But again, uh, more listening than anything, and it might be in the background. And even to be honest, Ashley, I I don't. 
it's not something that I do on a daily basis because okay. I'm very conscious of being distracted. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, what, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I had you ask that question and I am one that reads like several different, different books at a time. So I put them on my desk so that I can tell you. So right now I'm reading the checklist manifesto. Okay. Um, have you heard of it? No, it's really good. It is. It's a, it's written by a surgeon actually, but in reading it, I have come to look and understand the different disciplines of the millionaires in my family mm -hmm. and that same cousin, uncle, dad, as I started reading this book, I was like, wow, he has what he calls his envelope, which is his checklist. He writes in the morning, everything he wants to get done in the day. And he does not go to sleep until it's done. It's mm -hmm. his checklist put on an envelope and he throws that envelope away and he has another one. Right. And so um, it's, it's, again, it's a discipline of those that are successful. So I'm reading the checklist manifesto. Um, this, the next one is why should white guys have all the fun? It's how Reginald Lewis created a billion dollar business empire. Because again, something that I aspire to do is build a billion dollar empire. So why not read, why not read uh, about that from one of the best? Yeah. I am reading The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakiani, which is fabulous because it goes into mindset and um, and how each of us, you know, need to govern govern our mindset and, and how to um, how our minds are basically limitless and unstoppable. Mm. It's, it is um, it's a very good book because a lot of us stop our power or stunt our own growth yes with our mind and so um, that one's good and then there's a book called transparency which um kind of confirmed to me what i was saying there's a chapter on uh, uh on how things begin at home and i'll just read something in it because when you asked me this question i thought i wanted to read this um Although some enlightened organizations opt for openness, many more are characterized by blind, blind spots and black holes that prevent the free flow of information and why? We have to look to the dynamics of family for the first most powerful model for what we notice and how we think about it. The rules we learned as family members teach us what we should pay attention to and how we should speak about what we notice. Every family tactically teaches each member for atten attentional rules. These are the things we notice. This is what we say about them. These are the things we don't notice. And we never say anything to outsiders about that third category. And I thought, wow. Mm. But remember I said, what we bring into our organizations are things that were modeled to us. Uh, yeah. And remember I said, let's go back. Let me take several steps back. Let me start working with children because they are still malleable. They're still in that growth mindset. And maybe something that I say or something that they learn from me can offset something that is being modeled to them. Yeah. 
Oh, that's another one we could dissect for hours. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh, we're already an hour and a half in. I'm like, oh, I want to go further. Um, yeah, man, that is, ugh, I am really passionate about family. So I have like on my board here, like the five things that I am. And so one of them is yeah, the, the last one is I'm a helper of people to grow strong families, marriages, children, faith, finances, and business, because there's something yeah. about like, and I, and I don't have them in a particular order for a reason, but for me, it's like everything starts in the home, everything. Yes. And they're like one of the tomorrow I'm going to have someone on and we're going to talk about like her family dynamics because um, with, I don't want to go down rabbit hole with this, but like with 50% of people who are growing up in divorced homes, that means you have a very large group and I, it's only going to go up. It's only going to go up in the coming years. But as you, as you see that those kids have no example of what it looks like to ha have healthy marriage. And even in TV, we don't have any examples of what it is to see a marriage, a family that is cohesive. We see tons of stories about in the battle of finally committing to each other as a couple. Right. Nothing right. after that. Nothing. Right. So what do you do with that if for tons of millions, millions upon millions of people who don't know what it is to have a healthy relationship? And then because of that, then you have a broken family. And, and that just leaves us, everything's just like, it, anyway, that's why I could go like down a rabbit hole with that and talk to you, you about because it is, it affects our businesses. It affects our community. Yes. Everything that happens at homes affects everything, everything outside our walls, everything. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I am divorced. And one of the things that I said to my children when, when I decided, you know, this, this is not healthy was one of the main reasons why I'm leaving is and leaving with you, taking you with me is because I do not want you to think that this is normal. And, and it was a very difficult decision to make, but I knew that, you know, given what they were seeing and, and how it was impacting them, that it was going to, it was going to be a ripple effect, right. Or a domino effect for later relationships that they had, because, my sons, they have to grow into young men, right? And I don't want them to think that this is normal because this is not, I don't want my daughter to think that this is normal, that this is how a man treats you or a woman, a woman responds to a man. None of this is normal. And so I had to take responsibility for that, right? Understanding that I wasn't with a partner that was willing to accept accountability and responsibility at that time so that we could reconcile, right? It was a very difficult decision, but that really was a launch pad for how I have raised um, my young men and, and my young woman, my young lady is because I want them to be able to navigate through life differently and navigate and enter into relationships, organizations as well as a whole person, right? Because how you, how you communicate within a home is how you're going to communicate in an organization. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. If they're screaming and shouting at home, well, in an organization, when I'm frustrated or irritated, I'm going to do the same thing because this is what I have been oriented to. This is what has been um, modeled and is normal to me. Well, I don't think that there's anything wrong with me being in your organization and raising my voice or having another aggressive behavior. You understand what I'm saying? And so you're right. It is
very important because we take those things throughout life, throughout, you know, in relationships, personal and business. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's, yeah, there's so much part of there. Um, Ken, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on to the next one. I'm so sorry. Um, sure. Okay. So when you look at the, the people that you choose to be around, um, what would be a common characteristic of those people? Um, I would say they are all very intentional. They are all very um, empathetic, but in that empathy, they are also all very direct. I think we cringe as a society from that word direct. I know certainly when I was in corporate and not just at Dow, but any other corporate organization that I worked for, to be direct was something that was offensive and it's not, right? It is, in fact, it is efficient. Now, there is there are times when your directness can be offensive, right? But when you are self-aware and you know that you're direct and you know how to communicate, you know how to listen to how other people speak and receive information, then I know how to communicate with you still being direct, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually enjoy that directness because sometimes even for me receiving that back can be a challenge, but it is growing me. Yeah. Right. So I, I would say that I would also say that, um, another commonality is their willingness to, to learn. Mm. They, they don't, none of the people that I surround myself with want to be stagnant. They want to be the best version of themselves. They want to have lived this lifetime and extracted every bit of potential out of them that could be extracted. And just with those characteristics, that leads people with different types of conversations that you get to have and different energies that that come off of them than the typical person. Yes. Um, before we wrap it up, is there any encouragement? I want to do three different groups. So first is going to be encouragement that you can give to employers right now going into this climate. Again, where there's so much uncertainty going into next year. What's a few lines that you could give as encouragement to that group of people? I would say uh, to, to organizations and employers to make decisions based on what's best for you and your employees, I would say really look at innovative ways to um, protect and insulate your organization. And by that, what I mean is don't just make a snap judgment like, oh my gosh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be so bad. And I'm going to have to let people go. Look at innovative ways to retain your people. Um, and honestly begin now, if you haven't already begun preparing for it financially, being better stewards of your profit because mm-hmm. sometimes in organizations, we all know it is, I'm not saying anything that is taboo or, you know, organizations want to suck out all the profit and there's no reserve. One of the things that I learned from cousin, uncle, dad we've had these conversations about COVID is the way that he is a financial steward for his organization because he understands that he has accepted the responsibility of not only governing his finances personally 
but for the organization which impacts lives. Mm -hmm. When you are an employer, you are impacting lives. And so you have got to govern the organization's finances such that when times like these come, you can sustain itself. You can sustain the organization, right? Um, I had a conversation with another business owner with COVID and I was like, well, my sustainability plan, I think I want to have two years worth of reserves so that for two years, um, if Milestone doesn't gain another client because of whatever is going on globally, I'll be able to sustain myself and my employees and their, you know, their families. And she said to me, why not three? Because at the two year mark, COVID has been here for two years, you'd be bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of conversations that I have, you know, and I was like, wow. So I would challenge organizations, look at how you are being a financial steward to your organization because it impacts you and it impacts your people. What is words of wisdom that you would give to parents right now? Oh my gosh. Um, be incredibly intentional about what you are teaching your, your children. And I think sometimes we as parents think, well, you know, little Johnny saw me do X, Y, and Z, but did you take the time to be intentional about it? So for example, when we talk about financial literacy with my, with my children, when they get to a certain age, they come with me to meet with my financial advisor so that by the time they turn 18 and they've had a job for a year or two, I'm, I'm teaching them how to save one, but at the end of that savings, now you've, you've been, a, you've been acclimated to meeting with the financial advisor. And now I'm handing you over to the financial advisor for you to now invest the money that you have saved. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's intention in that. It's not just, well, they know that I have a financial advisor. No, I'm intentionally taking you with me. You need to pay attention. You need to listen. You need to learn. Um, things about credit. I am very intentional about that, especially when I have three in college right now. And, you know, we all know when you go to college, you get these credit card offers that just come at you, right? And that's usually the start of when the spiral downwards because we've not been taught about credit and the impact of credit. And so I do an activity with them that is very intentional and it is, okay, let's put this in Excel. Let's choose three credit card companies and let's analyze. Let's Let's, you know, do an apples to apples comparison of them. Oh, and by the way, we're going to read the fine print and we're going to put the fine print in Excel as well because it's the devil in the details, right? So I'm very intentional about what I'm teaching them when I'm teaching it to them. And so I think as parents, we have, we have to have that level of intentionality. And as you said to me, when we were having this conversation before, purpose. Mm -hmm. My intention and my purpose as a mother is to raise children that are going to be productive members of society and hopefully captains of enterprise. And so I have to be intentional and purposeful about how I do that. Yeah, no, I love that. So the last one is what kind of encouragement could you give for students today? Um, I would say always be curious um, and don't, don't limit yourself, which is difficult these days because we come in a society now where 
if you listen as parents, if you listen to yourself, and I, I'm a grandmother now, right? And and I sit back and I listen to how my eldest talks to my grandson. And, and I haven't had this conversation yet, yet, right? But I, I hear a whole lot of no's. Mm. There's always no's. And so we have to realize that in the no, is there opportunity to learn? And in the no, we're also saying sometimes you can't. And so we have to realize that. Now, am I saying everything should be yes? No, I'm not saying that at all, right? But maybe we can find an alternative to language to the no. And I think that for younger, for this younger generation specifically, because they are so attuned to um, nature, they're so attuned to the planet, and we are constantly telling them what they can do and what they can't do. I, I think my biggest piece of advice for them would be don't look to the left and don't look to the right. And sometimes you may have to cover your ears and you have to dig deep and listen to that voice within because it's that voice within that's not going to guide you um, in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think we forget that. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's fire. Um, where can people find you? I know you said LinkedIn and Instagram. Do you have, do you know your handle, your Instagram handle? Of course not. Okay. That's okay. I'll put it in the, <laughs> Please, thank put you. It in the description um, below. So don't worry about it. Uh, I also have a website, which is www.milestone and milestones with a Y. So it's M-Y-L-E-S-T-O-N-E. D like David, M like Michael, C like Charles.com. Um, yeah. So I, I am on social media. I do, I do have actually I have a Facebook, I have Twitter, I have LinkedIn and Instagram, and then I also have a website. Yeah, and I'll put I'll yeah, put yeah, a lot of those in out. the description <laughs> below, along with your your email, not your email address, but your website. <laughs> And um, the books that you recommended today or mentioned today. Um, Shelly, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your knowledge. Um, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Oh, thank you, Ashley. And thank you so much for having me. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. You as well.